I'm Nicole. Welcome to the Movement Toward Change podcast. We are using dance as a means to cultivate community and start conversation. Today we are honored to speak with Taylor Coco. Taylor is a passionate and dedicated individual who has been in the education space for the past nine years. She's a degree from Dean College in the Arts as well as Suffolk University where she studied public relations and communications. Over the past few years, Taylor has found herself working with the school systems, theater groups, and dance studios all around New England area. She is currently a judge for the local dance competitions, a dance educator, 305 fitness instructor, and just founded her own company, You Can. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us today. Of course, I am so excited to be here. Thanks for having me. Um, could you tell us about your journey to this point and if a specific event has shaped your career? Absolutely. Um, so as you know, most dance teachers journeys began, we started in the diapers, right? So I began probably at two teaching. Um, my mom owned a studio, so I literally was like born into dance. Didn't have a choice, but I loved it. Um, you know, dance competed the whole, the whole nine yards um, and then kind of found myself teaching um, you know, out of college and, and ended up loving it. And it just kind of made sense. Um, I, I think the moment that kind of shaped my career was, I think, making the decision to go to a school for dance, because they had different things that I like loved and was interested in. Um, but when I went to I went to Dean, and, you know, it's a big, it's a big dance school. And you know, it's a local one. But I knew right when I went to that campus that I was like, this makes sense. Um, it just felt right. And I had you know, I got into good schools. I got into Emerson and like all these great schools and everything. But I was like, I don't know. I just, I got to stick to dance a little bit more. And, you know, I ended up, of course, getting a second degree at Suffolk just, just by choice. But um, I don't know, something just like got me excited about running around campus and leotard and tights in a bun. Like that just made me happy. Um, and then just like, it just kind of, it felt consistent and it, and it just felt right. So that was really the moment that I was like, I think this this is where I'm going to be leading my life. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I think that time between high school and college and like choosing what you're going to study in college can kind of be the time where you choose to yeah. keep dancing or some people choose to pursue exactly. some other interests. Mm -hmm. So I went that route. <laughs> yeah, I like that you just like you really listen to yourself too. A lot of people mm -hmm. get kind of caught up in like, well, which school is the best school? But like, yeah. And I, you know, I looked at schools that had dance teams and that was important too, but I was like, I don't know, something about like waking up and going to modern at 9am excited me, which is not the average person feeling, but that was mine. So I was like, I think this is, this is it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so what has been your experience with self-confidence as a young dancer and a dance professional? And are there any specific challenges that you faced um, I, I think that there are so many like beautiful and amazing things about being a dancer, but there are definitely a lot of, you know, realities that come with it as well. Um, you know, especially growing up in a competitive type of school, there, there just always is that comparison factor. Um, you know, and as I mentioned, my mom being a dance teacher and educator, I was fortunate that she was able to kind of be supportive and like understood where I was coming from, even at a young age. So she, she sold the studio when I was probably seven, but had it for like 15 years prior, still teaches now um, and things like that. So that kind of was always helpful, but um, there was a lot of pressure to, you know, win at a competition or whatever it was. And it, a lot of it was put on myself, even at a young age. I mean, I started 
you know, teaching or dance, not teaching in diapers, uh, starting dance, like at around two, but then, you know, right at seven, I started, you know, putting the fake eyelashes on and, and going into comps, um, and things like that. Um, but there is kind of a little truth to that idea of like, you know, Abby Lee's pyramid, not the direct, the great Abby Lee. Um, but there, you know, maybe we're not posting it on the wall, but you know, you know, who's the top dog and you know, who's you just, you do. Um, and, you know, it wasn't literal in the studio, but I, I know, uh, you know, even like I said, I think like seven or eight is when I started competing. And I knew I was like, I'm, I felt like I was like a Chloe. I wasn't quite there and I wanted to be, but and if people don't know dance moms and they think I'm crazy, but I was kind of in that middle of that pyramid. So I knew I was, you know, I knew I had potential. I knew I was like, I love dance and I was good, but I wasn't getting, you know, first, I was getting third or fourth or whatever it was. So Right. You know, I have memories of that, even as a little kid, and they weren't like traumatizing, but I do remember like not being first and knowing like, you know, you stand up there and you're like holding your award and you're smiling. You're like, damn it. I wish I got first. And you know, even at that point, that was, that was a thing. Um, but I think a turning point kind of for me was I'd say in high school, obviously, you know, with that comes with maturity and things like that. So I understood the value of maybe not always having to be first overall or dancer of the year, whatever that was. Um, and I think that's when I started to, you know, as I was saying, consider dance as part of my life. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to just take extra belly classes because I want to, not because I want to win. I want to take classes at Jeanette Neal, which is no longer, but I would choose to do that. And as a high schooler, that was really scary because it was adult classes. And it kind of made sense, like that was more important to like keep learning and, and learn new styles and, and be scared in an adult class um, because I just wanted to keep learning and growing and it, I didn't want to, I didn't necessarily have to be the best. I just wanted to be really good. So that's that. <laughs> um, as a dance educator, how do you work to instill confidence in your students? Um, I think that in, in all the different spaces I've taught, so like a recreation school or like a theater program or whatever, I think that the biggest like, like beautiful moment is when they do figure something out and they have that aha moment. And I think that like they're, when their face lights up, that's so important, you know, for a theater group, it could just be a jazz square and they worked so hard on that jazz square and they feel so good for, you know, a, a different type of dancer. They nail that, that forte turn sequence, whatever it is. So that um is kind of when their inner confidence comes out that little quick moment um and I just kind of want to be there to guide them and just like support them and be so proud of them for getting a jazz square whatever it was um and I feel like I you know over the past few years especially like made it a point to make the dance room or the, the studio space a safe space for them um you know still creating those you know appropriate boundaries but um you know, if they have, you know, I was when they walk in, hey, guys, how are you doing? Simple as that. Not every teacher does that. How's your day today? How was school? You know, now we're asking, are you are you remote? or Are you in person? And then they'll answer or whatever. Um, and if they say if I, you know, sometimes you can feel it, they'll say, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. And I know they're lying to me. Um, maybe they don't want to share that day. But maybe I give them a couple extra compliments if they need it, because maybe I feel like they need it. Um, and then, you know, sometimes kids will tell me, especially the high schoolers who are more open, they'll say, today sucks. That great, fine, thank you, you know, 
and and then we'll open up the floor for a few minutes and and I'll let them talk you know um there's nothing wrong with allowing five minutes of the dance class to just let them maybe it's vent maybe I'm just being a sounding board um we're gonna get everything done that needs to be done that's fine but my my high school group especially we literally do before we start I say all right, everyone go around and tell me what doesn't suck today. Because you know what? Maybe not everything was good that day, but tell me what doesn't suck. And it can be, they don't have homework. It can be, they went skiing last week. It's, it's as small or as big as they want it to be, but I think to just zone in on like, I'm not gonna sit here and tell them that the, the sky is, is you know raining glitter, but tell me what doesn't suck today. And let's, let's use that to fuel you, especially because I have them on Monday. So they're like, all right, let's go, let's go. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I bring it into the space um, without without pushing too hard. But if they want to talk, they know they can. Mm. So yeah, I, I love that idea of giving them some some space to talk because I feel like sometimes mm. in dance, it's like oh, you have to be silent the whole time, especially in that kind of middle school, yeah. high school dance classes. That kind yeah. of some teachers might set the precedent like there is no talking, which of course mm-hmm. needs to focus, but. I think exactly. having a little bit of dialogue at the beginning or at the end is so important because yeah. we're dancers, we're also human. So yeah. that yeah. connection. And they don't have the the opportunity maybe to to talk. They're not telling them this to their friends anymore because they're not in their group or whatever. So they just want someone to talk to, even if it's for two minutes. So they need it. <laughs> no, dance is also, I mean, it's an outlet in and of itself. It's mm-hmm. nice to also kind of use that as an outlet to talk about things that are bothering you exactly and I I think that if it's something like at school or if they want to go at home like that this is a space that like this isn't your school there's always that like special connection between like your dance friends have that special bond we don't know what it is but there is one um so I think that they know that too that it's a it's a it's a I keep saying but it's a safe space for a lot of them so I think that that's they know that which is good what is your hope for the dance industry as it pertains to dancers' self-esteem and how can we kind of work as a community to instill those changes? Um, so my hope for the dance industry, which I, I think we're, we are becoming progressive with it, is just that we're accepting of, of truly all people, you know, body, color, identity, shape, sizes, the whole nine yards. Um, and you know, we're working towards that. Um, you know, you're now seeing places like Capizio creating um, different colored skin tone tights or, or ballet shoes or whatever. So we're working towards that. You're seeing places like um, Athleta, although not a dance company, you know, fitness, that's where the kids buy their leggings. Um, they are putting ads out for different size bodies and they're, you know, including different things. They have, you know, even to the other side of it, they have Athleta Girl for a smaller figure person. Um, I go to Athleta Girl XXL because it's cheaper. So that's pro tip. <laughs> it's a lot cheaper to go to that. So, yep, just do that if you need to. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it takes time, but it, it, we are moving in that right direction, which, you know, by default instills that confidence. If they're walking into a room and they're wearing a leotard that does come in their size, then that's great as opposed to covering up in a big t-shirt or whatever it may be and not feeling comfortable. I mean, leotards and tights are, they're tight. They're, you know, you see everything they are. But if you're, if you're providing them with something that is in a color that flatters them, is in a size that compliments them, I, I think that that really helps. Um, but, you know, there is still that reality that there are colleges and companies and even, you know, youth um, studios that do weigh their girls. Like, 
that does happen. Um, there's a lot, there's, I, there's local schools to me that I know are ballet heavy and they do weigh them and they, you know, don't maybe conform to that ballet body, especially if they're, you know, in high school and they're going through changes in their body and, and it doesn't look the same. I mean, I went, I TMI, but I developed late being active. A lot of dancers do, um, like in college, right? Like my sophomore year of college, which is very late to be a woman, but that's, that's what I did. So I was, I was, you know, growing in places and, um, you know, I, we didn't get weight at Dean and I didn't want to, you know, say that, but, but, um, you know, the t- ballet teacher noticed it, like, Taylor, what's, what's that on top of your chest? I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's happening to me. <laughs> like, because I was so like, you know, tiny and that happens. I think that change for dancer body wise is a little different than maybe the average person. Um, and you just, you know, you have to, it's tough. It is tough. Um, and you know, we, you, you shouldn't have, you know, and I'm not saying we boycott these, you know, places that maybe weigh their dancers, but you know, maybe as a parent, if someone, a parent's listening, maybe, you know, find out, don't send your kid there, you know, if that's not what you want them to, to be a part of, um, you know, and there are a lot of studios there that are creating inclusive environments, but you do have to ask and find out and, and, you know, maybe go to the space, try you know, you get a vibe from places like that. Um, and you know, the kids now though, that they are very impressionable. Um, it's, it's so much easier for them to compare themselves and they do a lot more obviously in the classroom, but you know, I mean, Instagram being the biggest thing, Instagram and TikTok now, um, being that comparative space. Um, I mean, even myself, I'm like, this 13 year old is beautiful. <laughs> I'm like, you can't help. I'm like, what is going on? So if I, uh, almost 30 I'm like oh my god that I can't imagine you know that's out it's out there and they are going to compare themselves um but I think it's just making it as a dance teacher part of like your actual curriculum to have a, a time where you talk about these pressures like maybe you make that like a once a month like little you know 15 minute mini workshop with them and and we do that to begin the class um you know, maybe it is something that you introduce all of your, you know, your company dancers to, and you say, Hey, let's, um, let's, let's have a talk about, you know, our body and how do we feel and, and whatever that may be. And that kind of, you know, when we talk about it, we'll segue kind of to some of my, you can stuff and how, you know, we incorporate that. But, um, yeah, I, I think that I hope that we continue to be progressive with all of the, like resources that we're giving to our dancers. Um, but I think we just have to do a little research and make sure that we're, we're not, you know, like I said, if you're a parent out there, don't send your kid to that school or as a teacher, um, just, you know, have a discussion about it and, and check in with them and see how they're feeling and where their insecurities lie and things like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that's what I'd say about that. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like the teacher is kind of really the one responsible for setting up that classroom environment where Mm -hmm. students feel safe and comfortable and of course they're challenged but I feel like the challenges and the struggle should come within like the hard work and the dedication to the dance not Mm -hmm. all these outside things about how we look and our size and this and that I know and it and you know they're gonna maybe focus on external things sometimes you can tell when the kid's 
thinking about something that isn't about dance and and it could be I mean the the pressure like if if all the kids have this certain brand leggings and like that it's 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 as small as that you know I I we all probably felt it like wow her leggings are really cool mine are from Walmart and it's as small as that it really is that they compare themselves about anything you know everyone knows the uh, the athleta logo like oh I wish I had those you know um that's why I shop in the girls section because they're too expensive but like but they're comparing everything they are and um it's hard so we just have to keep them focused on 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 dance and movement and happiness (laughs) it is great talking about it too because I feel like a lot of times you know a 12 or 13 year old will feel like they're the only person that's just scrolling Instagram and feeling bad about themselves yeah kind of bring it into a group conversation you realize you're not alone in that yeah that's a big thing yeah just feeling like you're not alone is very important for for adults but for kids too because like I said they're so impressionable especially now so as dancers there's often a large emphasis placed on the body in regards to fitting a specific aesthetic norm how do you think we can move away from these values Um, so, you know, obviously as we just chatted about a little bit, there is, you know, a lot of pressure, especially outside of that dance room. Um, but you know, I I think that a lot of it, they just put on themselves so much, like we're not, we're not telling them at least, you know, if you're in an inclusive kind of studio, I'm not telling them that they need to look X, Y, Z, they put on themselves. Right. So, um, kind of paying a little homage to my 305 fitness world, that honestly has, has taught me a lot in regards to like my personal growth kind of in this subject, um, that's helped me with my, with my kids in the studio. Um, because it is all about positivity and inclusivity and empowerment. And, you know, if you, if you're not familiar with the class, it's basically, it's a cardio dance party, um, not emphasizing on the word workout because we don't want it to feel like a workout, right? So it's just a party and in we're having fun and we're enjoying our time. And, you know, I've kind of used some of that, um, you know, that those values and those lessons that I've learned in my training there in into the classroom and making them feel, um, just making them feel beautiful and, and, and positive. Um, they, a lot of the kids know that I do it and they ask for the warm up. They ask for the class now because they love it, um, which is awesome because it's more geared towards adults. But they, you know, I always preface like, okay, this is a workout. Yes, but it's kind of, you know, I kind of say it's like Zumba, I explain it to them. And they love it now because they feel so happy and so powerful and so fun doing it. And, um, you know, I'll do it like before winter break or something when they want like a fun, a fun week. <laughs> you know, they always want a fun week. Um So, you know, I I think that company also has kind of in turn helped me realize that like the dance and the fitness space doesn't have to look a certain way, even though we feel like it should. Um, And, you know, we, we have this idea of what a fitness instructor should look like in our head, what a dancer should look like in our head. Um, And, you know, those images and those ideas are obviously not true. They're not real or realistic. Um, and you know, there's no right or wrong way to look or to, to be in either of those spaces. Um, and you know, like for myself, I am in shape. Yes. But like, I don't have abs and I love pizza and I do have cellulite and that's the thing, but I'm still like a really good instructor and I'm still a really good teacher. And if I, like, I have to believe that 
to help my kids believe that. And I think that's a big thing. Um, you know, they, they don't come to dance because the, the teacher or the other kids weigh X amount or cause they could, you know, on the fitness side, they don't come to class because I can lift X amount of weight or pound, you know, like that's not why they come. And, and that's with both of my things. Um, they come because it's fun because, because they feel comfortable because they feel happy. Um, because they feel encouraged, whatever it is. So kind of, you know, tying those two together, um, you know, it, it, it's helped me just become inclusive in my dance teaching as well. It really, really has. And, you know, we delve into a lot of that stuff in our training. It's a long training and, and they, you know, make us say, you know, we're never allowed, you'll never hear us saying in a class like that, um, you know, for doing core, um, you know, let get that to get those abs for that summer body. But like, we're never going to say that. That's not something we would say. And, you know, we do core, you know, abs in the dance room. And I, and I would never say that either to them. It's just to keep them strong and powerful and keep their center, you know, feeling good. I'm never going to say, and I, you know, maybe teachers do, I never know. Like, um, you know, whatever to say, get those arms tank top ready, or, you know, that's just not wording that works for, honestly, it doesn't work for adults. I don't think either. Maybe it does power to them. Um, but it definitely doesn't work for kids. So when we do, you know, we'll do push-ups and we'll do setups and things like that. Um, and, and just being like, all right, guys, like, do you feel beautiful? Do you feel confident? Blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, you just got to instill it from the start. I, I have, um, I had a creative movement class, which is like, they were probably three to four years old. And at the end, I have them face the mirror. And I mean, they're so stinking cute. Anything they say is good. But I go, okay, guys. And I go, we are smart. And they go, we are smart. We are strong. We are strong. And then they go, we are amazing. And then they chanted. I don't even know if they know what they're saying. But <laughs> like, if they get that in their head and they look at themselves in the mirror in their adorable pink leotard, then, hey, let's keep that going, you know? So, so that's kind of how I, you know, am putting that into the dance room by using kind of my, my knowledge and the training of God with, with my fitness end of things. So that's what I'm hoping for. Everyone feels beautiful. <laughs> that's amazing. I love that. That's I so know. Cute. They're so cute. <laughs> I'm like, again, again, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. <laughs> um, so where do you see your dancers struggling the most? And as an experienced dance educator, obviously having taught such a wide age range, have you noticed a difference in areas lacking self-confidence with regards to age? I do, yes. Um, the I've seen it over the past few years in, so I teach, you know, different styles, but when I do contemporary, um, we try to include, you know, improvisation techniques because improv is really hard. Um, and it wasn't something I grew up with either. Um, it kind of has like become more prominent in a classroom. Um, but with that comes a lot of self-doubt and lack of confidence because I'm not giving you, you know, an eight count to do. Like you have to trust yourself and your body to know like that I'm going to try this move and it's going to look great. And, and a lot of them get very, they get very uncomfortable um, doing things like improv. And I ask them, you know, especially when I'm introducing it, like if I started a new studio, I say, you know, and they've never done it. I mean, it's improv scary. I will look great. Um, but I'm like, okay, why does it feel weird to you? Like, talk to me. What, what are you feeling? And 
the, you know, the two things we get is that they feel like the other dancers are watching them and they're like judging them, which they never are because they're too concerned with their own selves because they're judging themselves. So it's like this cycle that they think everyone is staring at them. And I'm like, nobody cares what you're doing. Like, I'm barely even watching you. I'm just, I'm just kind of watching the room, but, um, that's the, the biggest things. And I don't obviously see it as much, you know, I'm introducing it to like an elementary age class and they are just, they could run around and be free and they love improv. They ask for it. They would do it the whole hour if they could. Um, but then that feeling will, maybe it won't, but it sometimes will shift, um, a little bit as we go to middle school, which I think is the age that is most comparative, like that seventh, eighth, and even ninth. Um, that really is the age where they are judging themselves so hard. Um, they think that everything that everyone is watching them and staring at them and they're not, but that's just, they can't get out of their head. And, um, you know, and I'll try to say, don't look at the mirror. Don't look at themselves. When we do improv, I say no, no turns, no jumps, no kicks, because I don't care if no, no car wheels, you know, like, because I don't want them to be like, oh, she has a car wheel that I can't. So her improv is better, whatever it is. Cause that's really the space where like, they, they could compare themselves. Cause it's not something I gave them. It's something they came up with. So like they put it on themselves, like they feel responsible for like what they're doing and how they're moving. Um, and I see, you know, I watch them watch each other. And that's also interesting for me, like who, who their eye is going to. Um, and now in the land of LED lights, everyone has the LED lights, right? So, you know, I'll try to shut the lights, you know, shut the classroom lights on, put the LED lights off. It helps a little bit. It makes them more comfortable. Um, but you can't even shut the lights off, right? So um, that's, they compare themselves a lot in that. And, you know, I did it too um, when I was growing up. Like I not even in dance, but, you know, the going back to the Abby Lee pyramid, right? The, the girl at the top of the pyramid, she, I remember she went to Abercrombie Kids. That's what she wore. So my mom better have brought me to Abercrombie Kids every day so that I looked like her because like, it wasn't even about dance. I mean, it was, yes, but that's like, I wanted to have the outfit she had. If she had a blue scrunchie, I need to have a blue scrunchie. And those are the things that they kind of, those are those like vicious cycles that we just, you know, started. My mom was like, I'm not going to Abercrombie. That place is so expensive. We went to the back of the room in the sale rack. That's how I got my Abercrombie kids. But she joked me because, because she, you know, because it's a little kid and you want to make them happy and stuff. But yeah, it's, um, you know, we all are just comparing ourselves and it, and, and it stinks, but you know, What's that uh, comparison is the thief of joy. And it is, it takes, it takes away the joy of, of that movement and stuff if you're looking around at everybody. So yeah, I think that's where they, they need to just boost it up and, and just be in their own, in their own bodies. And yeah. That's so funny you mentioned the Abercrombie kid thing. Cause I remember <laughs> going to a studio in elementary school and everybody mm-hmm. had I think it was Lululemon leggings, like yeah. a juicy couture, like All one of those juicy yeah. zip ups. And like, yes. that was the outfit. And it's like, if you did not have the outfit, yes. what were you doing? I know. <laughs> it didn't matter how good, but if you walked into that studio with that outfit, oh, she's good. You know, I mean, it's the same when you walk into a competition, you know, who's, you know, who's, who's good by that outfit they have. Right. That's what we feel. That's what we thought when we walked in, like, Ooh, she's got, she's got rhinestones in her middle part. She must be good or whatever that was back then the style. So yeah, 
we're just, we, we all compare ourselves by nature. We can't help it. We do, you know, it's not good, but we do it. So you've created this wonderful workshop, You Can, which helps to build confidence in dancers. What exactly is this workshop and what is the format of your program? Yes. So I'm so excited about it. I just started officially speaking. What month is this? It is March. So yeah, a couple weeks ago, maybe. Um, So yeah, like you said, confidence building workshop is kind of the main point of it geared towards kids, probably 12 to 18, because that's where they have an understanding of, you know, concepts. Um, And it's just kind of to help them focus on like their inner strength and just teach them certain ways to like deal with situations. So, um, you know, just giving them like the tools and the coping mechanisms and and things like that to, to make them feel confident when they maybe don't always, Um, and just improving their mindset and just teaching them different skills to just kind of help mold them into their best selves. Um, so, you know, depending on like the age group, obviously, um, the exercises for maybe 12 or 14 will look a little different than like 16 to 18. Um, but you know, a good amount of it will involve like journaling and things like that. So they'll all get their own little journal, um, that I'll, you know, provide to them. Um, and that will kind of be their, their dear diary, right. And they keep that with them and they can, anytime they need to refer to it, they know everything that they learned is in that journal. Um, so, you know, we, it, one of the exercises, which is like a classic one we've seen is like, where do you see yourself in five years? And, but that's like such a big question for, for that age, for us too, honestly, but especially for that age, it's a, it's a heavy question. So like, we'll break it down a little bit. You know, what do you, where do you see yourself tomorrow? Where do you see yourself? And then building up to, you know, all the way to like 10 years um, and kind of giving them like actual actionable items that like will be in line with what they want to achieve in that big 10 year, five year, however, you know, big, I need to make it. So what are they doing tomorrow? That's going to set them up for that bigger role. You know, if they want to be, I'm looking at my fake tree, if they want to be a gardener in 10 years and they want to be a professional gardener, what are they doing tomorrow? Have they ever planted a tree yet? Or have they ever planted a flower? No, then then go, go buy some seeds tomorrow, whatever it is. So, you know, and that's a silly example, but taking those steps and, and then those building blocks with it. Um, uh, so that's kind of uh, uh, where we start and then everything refers back to that um, to give them that that growth, um, you know, so we'll talk about, you know, growth mindset and fixed mindset and, and how you have those um, those negative, you know, self-talk moments that they give to themselves and how do they take that, um, you know, that negative talk and turn it into a stepping stone, how do they take that obstacle that they feel like they can't jump over and turn it into something powerful and that they can use to like fuel their future selves and things like that. And it all kind of comes together. Um, so that's, you know, the gist of what, what it w- looks like, um, plus other fun stuff. <laughs> nice. And, um, what were your inspirations for beginning this program? Um, so honestly, I came from, I was, dr- okay. Initially I was literally just driving, like spacing out in the car, and I was like, um, I just, I don't know. It like literally just popped in my head while I was like highway hypnosising. Is that, am I saying that right? Yeah. Um, and, but it kind of stemmed from a couple, maybe a week or so prior, we were doing um, like a little journaling activity in class. Like I was doing something 
with like improv and I had them write something, whatever. So, and you know, there was a space where I got to open it up and they talked to me about what they wrote and how they incorporated that with their improv. And they were, um, you know, more receptive to it maybe than I thought and, and they enjoyed it and they were sharing. And I think that's kind of where the idea, the light bulb went off, if you will. And I was like, let's make this a thing. Like, let's see how I can shift this into a full program. Um, you know, obviously they, they still are their happy selves, but they have obviously changed from, from last year to this year. You can't help it. Everyone's changed, whether it's for the good, the bad or whatever we've, we're just different people now. Um, you know, with, with all the obstacles they're overcoming and I wanted to kind of, I don't want to say fix, um, the struggles that they have, but just be there, be a person, be, um, you know, a guiding light for them while they're having all this weird stuff going on. Um, so it was kind of a combination of just by nature. I love helping people. That's just, it sounds corny, but I do. I love kids and I love helping people. And this just kind of made sense. So initially, yes, I guess driving in the car was my inspiration. <laughs> I was just sitting writing a paper for school when I thought of this podcast so sometimes we get our best ideas like not when we're like oh I need to come up with an idea in this moment it's just at the most random times just pops into your head or in the shower a lot of people get good ideas in the shower yes (laughs) or like on a run or something yeah because your mind just wanders and it just like you see these bubbles pop up it really is when you just let your mind like relax and that always doesn't happen so I guess yeah driving is a place where you kind of if you know where you're going you kind of space out which I know is not safe but you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What are your intended goals and intentions for the participants in these workshops? Um, I I just want basically each kid to leave feeling like invincible and and amazing. Um, And, you know, I know, of course, after one workshop, they're not going to turn into, you know, Gandhi over here. But I want them to just like have the tools, like I was saying, to help them grow and be better. So if they're having like a really crappy day and they need that reminder, like they can go back and be like, wait, I learned how to do this and you can like, let me go back to my journal. I wrote about this. Let me expand on it. So it really is, you know, if, if a group wanted to do like once every, you know, few months to kind of check in with them, that's always an option too. But with the assumption that it's just a one-time thing, um, I just want them to like, know how they can deal with XYZ without me being there um, or like guiding them or helping them and stuff. So that's kind of really my biggest goal. I I don't, you know, they're not going to turn into this enlightened person in one day, but I just want them to know that like, these are resources and this is going to help build them to just kind of their, their best selves. Mm, Kind of like planting a seed in them for their future growth. See, I connected it, the fake tree, the garden, I knew. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you personally hope to get out of this program? Um, I mean, for, for me as a teacher, I want to, you know, be a good listener and, you know, a better listener for the kids and, and be a strong mentor for them and continue to be that and continue to be somebody who they turn to if they do need somebody, um, especially, you know, out of college, right? If they If they need a little bit, or out of high school, rather, um, you know, if they need somebody to help them on their dance journey or their confidence journey, like I want them to know that I'm there for them um, on, you know, on a more personal level if they need it. Um, 
and then, you know, for the younger ones, I just, I just want them, um, yeah, same thing, honestly, because, you know, you got, you have that boundary, but I want to be their mentor really. Um, and just making sure that they feel heard as well. Um, and, you know, I know myself with each workshop that I do, I'll also get better and better at it. Um, and I'll continue to, you know, I'll learn and I'll continue to take courses and, and trainings and things like that so that I in turn am providing the best I can for them. Um, so I want to, you know, I want to be better too. Uh, and that's, um, you know, that'll make the experience better for the kids. It all kind of goes together. Um, and, you know, also just building like consistent ongoing relationships with whether it is a studio or a community group or whatever it is. So if they do want to bring it in once a year or once every you know, six months, and then we check in with the kids and see how they're doing or whatever that is. So I want to also like, you know, just have that consistent relationship that people will want to bring this back because they saw maybe even just a little sliver of of growth within their students. Wonderful. Yeah, Yeah, having that like, solid relationship, particularly right now, just so important. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so that's, that would be the goal. The long-term goal. <laughs> um, moving into our final questions, what is your number one piece of advice for the movement toward change dance community? Um, so I think I just want everyone to know that they, it's corny and it's cliche, but that they are enough and that they're never less than and that, um, you know, you're not too small and you're not too big. And I mean that in, a, in an internal sense more so that, you know, um, that you're enough, honestly, and that you should never let anybody make you feel less than um, or not good enough. Um, and, you know, if you are feeling that, you know, just like take a second, like recollect, pause um, and, and you know, write down five reasons that you're a badass or whatever that is that works for you. Um, you know, say them out loud, look at yourself in the mirror, whatever it is to kind of amp yourself up. Um, and just, yeah, the, 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 like love and the inner strength that you give to yourself is so powerful. So, um, don't ever forget that guys, you're the best. <laughs> if you have further questions for Taylor or would like to schedule a, you can workshop, you can contact her on her website, you ken academy.com. You can also follow you can on Instagram at you.ken.academy. And if you would like to continue supporting our podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon. You can find us on our Patreon page, Movement Toward Change. Uh, also follow us on Instagram at Movement Toward Change. We will also put this information in the show notes. Thank you so much, Taylor. Thank you. Hey guys, this was fun.